0: You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Rams Nation, what is going on? Welcome back. It is your boy, your host, as always, Sosa Kermendias. I'm a fantasy analyst at Pro Football Focus and your host here at the Locked On Rams podcast, your number one daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Rams and part of the Locked On Podcast Network Just before we dive into this episode, I wanted to remind you guys that winning your league starts with the right data. Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News provides you the edge you need in your fantasy football leagues. Locked On Fantasy Football is a daily podcast all year round, so your fantasy team never fails. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode here at the Locked on Rams podcast. This is going to be your second to last episode this week, and this one is quite an interesting one because we have some good topics, and I say that we always do, but I swear today's topics are going to be very interesting. So the first segment I want to dedicate to an ESPN ranking of all the interior defensive linemen, defensive tackles in the NFL. And there was a shocker when it comes to Aaron Donald there. Uh, The second segment, we're going to dive into something very interesting that I found about quarterback Matthew Stafford, your new quarterback, Talking about just how strong of a player this guy is and mentally, not just physically. We're going to dive into that. It's a very interesting statistic that I dug up. And then in the final segment, diving into the Flying Coach podcast, the latest episode with 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan and obviously your head coach of the Rams, Sean McVay, as well as Peter Schrager. So before we get into all of that other stuff, we got to go back to the first topic and that was the ESPN defensive tackle rankings. And the shocker that I mentioned when it came to Aaron Donald. Now, to preface all of this, Aaron Donald was still the number one ranked defensive tackle in the NFL by the majority here, or the vast majority, I should say. Basically, ESPN, uh, the writers there had a article where they asked a bunch of NFL executives, coaches, players whoever to rank the top, you know, 10 top 20 players whatever it was at the defensive tackle spot and Aaron Donald came away with the number 1 spot which is well deserved. I think we all know that this guy is the best player in football. He's not just the best defensive tackle, he's not just, you know, the best defender, he is the best pound for pound player or pound for pound talent in the NFL. When you put value aside, and of course, you're always going to value a quarterback more than a defensive tackle. When you put that aside, Aaron Donald is better at his craft than any other player is at their respective craft. And that's not a shot at anyone, but I think up to this point, I feel very comfortable stating that. Now, looking at the shocker aspect of this, his highest ranking was first, obviously. His Last year's ranking was obviously first as well, which is deserved again. But the interesting part here is the lowest ranking. Somebody had him ranked as the fourth best defensive tackle. One of the execs or players or whoever. And basically, it was noted that the person that had him ranked as fourth simply preferred you know, youth and upside and that they, I guess, knocked Donald for that. But, I mean, that's just absurd. How silly is that? This is the guy... When it comes to the defensive tackle spot that sets the standard every single year, I know there's a lot of good players at this position. You know, we're looking at other guys in the NFL like Chris Jones and, you know, the DeForest Buckners or, you know, all these other good players who are very, very talented, the Grady Jarrett's Cam Haywards, Fletcher Cox. But I mean, come on, Aaron Donald, there is no questions asked about who is the best D tackle in football. You look at the PFF rankings, and this was just funny because, you know, they posted this the same day that ESPN posted that ridiculous ranking. And from 2014 through 2020, the highest graded defensive interior player, so defensive tackle by season. 2014, Aaron Donald with a 90.2 grade, 2015, Aaron Donald, 92.9, 2016, Aaron Donald, 92.6, 2017, Aaron Donald, 94.4, 2018, Aaron Donald, 94.8, 2019, Aaron Donald, 93.6, and lo and behold, 2020, Aaron Donald, 94.2. Like this is how dominant this player has become. I mean, at this point, it feels like we're almost taking him for granted to some degree, not everyone, you know, just simply, you know, you get reminded every now and again by a very stupid ranking or something of the such, you know, like this, that just makes you scratch your head because I understand we are sort of accustomed to how special this guy is now, right? You see a special play, Every other series or every other game or every other week from this guy, and it's not even surprising anymore. You're just like, okay, you know, that's Aaron Donald. We know that he can do that, and he does that every other week, so it's not even special anymore. Now, if somebody else did that same thing, it would probably be on the highlight reel for, you know, weeks on end. And that's not to say that Aaron Donald isn't worthy of being, you know, talked about or discussed, but he's just so good. And we've just become so used to it because it happens year after year after year that at this point you see rankings like this and it just makes you like shrug your shoulders. It's so ridiculous. I mean, this guy is a hall of fame talent. We know that he is a multiple time pro bowler, multiple time, first team, all pro three time defensive player of the year award winner, defensive rookie of the year award winner, There is no accolade that this guy has not won other than a Super Bowl, and that doesn't really matter for a defensive tackle. But at this point in time, we should be discussing whether or not this is the greatest player ever in NFL history, or the greatest defender ever in NFL history, or at least the greatest defensive tackle ever in NFL history. Not if he's the best defensive tackle in the NFL today, because that is a race that he should win in a landslide every single time, regardless of who you're comparing to him. Now we're going to discuss the quarterback position in the next segment. And I dug up a very interesting statistic on your new quarterback, Matthew Stafford, that I think is going to have you guys very excited to watch for next season. But before we get into that, I just wanted to remind you guys that you can come connect with us on Twitter for all the coverage you need on your Los Angeles Rams. You can find me at QB's MEP and the page at LockedOnRams. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at BetOnline. This week has tons of sports action on the go as the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs are closing up and nearly getting to an end. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, nba nhl and all your ufc and mma action before the next pitch head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news sign up bonuses and contest information don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs bet online your online sportsbook experts welcome back to the podcast this is going to be your second segment of this episode your thursday episode here at the locked on rams pod and I teased before the break what we're going to discuss in this segment. And so I initially planned to talk about something a little bit different. It was going to be a sort of debate style topic between whether or not Matthew Stafford could win the MEP award this season or not. But I want to pivot last second here because a person that I work with at PFF dug up a very interesting statistic here. And I mean, PFF is the best for this because they just find all kinds of interesting statistics and crazy stuff that... I feel like nobody really knows how to quantify or that we don't even think about to, you know, actually look at. But basically what this chart is here, uh, my friend here dug up a quarterback's three play average after getting hit compared to their season average. And so, you know, this is based off the expected points added per play statistic, which is an in-depth statistic, basically, you know, comparing the outcome of a play Uh, versus the expected outcome of said play. So, you know, it's a very in-depth sort of statistic that takes into account a lot of different things. And so you look at this chart and it's obviously, you guys can't see it, but I'm going to have to explain it to you. The players are listed, you know, you got a lot of players on this list, a lot of good quarterbacks, but the very first player, the number one player is Matthew Stafford. And he has the biggest value that's a positive here. And so let me explain what that means. Basically, you know, he comes in at just a tick under 0.4 expected points added per play on the three play average after he gets hit on any given snap in the NFL when compared to his season average. So that means after he's hit, you know, the next three plays, these numbers are accumulated by way of how they perform over those three plays after getting hit. And then we look at how did they perform? You know, did they perform worse after getting hit? Did they perform better after getting hit? Is there no difference? You see some guys like Carson Wentz, for example, there's pretty much no difference. You see somebody like Nick Foles or Russell Wilson. There is a very, very big difference in the negative in terms of actually being worse after getting hit. Matthew Stafford, though, the most productive on a EPA per play basis among any single quarterback in the NFL after getting hit. The next two players after Stafford, Deshaun Watson and Ben Roethlisberger. So, This is a very, very interesting statistic. Not just because Stafford comes in first or whatever, but it's so fascinating to me because this really digs into the psychological aspect of the NFL or, you know, being a player in the NFL that we don't really get to experience or know as fans or as media or as people outside of those white lines, as we say, you know, because everything that happens on that field is likely to impact you on a personal level that we don't really know how to quantify. You know, if you're a player who, for example, uh, you know, you get an injury in a season, you tear your ACL or something like that, they always say, you know, the next season after, right after that torn ACL, that recovery, you're never really going to fully be yourself because you don't feel comfortable fully planting and, you know, being as explosive or just always thinking about that knee. So you can't really think about the game and things like that. And so, you know, that's where the psychological aspect of the game comes in. And they always say, you know, the real player is going to come back two years post ACL surgery or whatever the case is. So when I look at this, it's a similar kind of thing, right? A quarterback getting hit it plays in their mind, you know, it's going to obviously speed up their internal clock, they don't want to get hit again, so the next time they're throwing the football or the next snap, they're going to try to process things a little bit quicker sometimes, you know, they might be forced into a mistake, they might be afraid to get hit again, whatever the case is. Now, what I find interesting here is that it has not affected Stafford in any way, it's actually made him a lot more productive, he's become the most productive quarterback after getting hit, and there's something that needs to be said about that, I mean, psychologically to be able to put something like that behind you after you get hit by, for example, you know, you look at the first segment and Aaron Donald or somebody like an Indomitian Sue who literally wants to take your head off every single snap and to be able to just come back the next play or the next three plays in this sample size and put that behind you and not really think about it that is very fascinating to me. I think it's super, super cool. And to know that a guy like Matthew Stafford is ultimately going to come back and really try to punish the defense for you know laying a lick on him, I think that's incredible. Because when you compare him to Jared Goff, Goff actually was one of the higher quarterbacks. He wasn't in the top five or six, but he was one of the players with only a negative 0.1 correlation there versus Stafford, who again, is the number one ranked quarterback. So not a huge difference in between those two players. But That was always something that I felt like Jared Goff left a little bit on the table because, you know, when he made a mistake or when he got in his own head, it felt like he never really did a great job, you know, bouncing back or coming out of that, right? It was like, you know, you see the first series or the first two series of a game, and however Jared Goff performed in those first two series, more or less, you know, 99% of the time, that is who you were going to get for the rest of the game. It felt like a very Jekyll and Hyde type of scenario where, You know, one game, this is a guy who looks like a pro bowler in those first two series and he plays like that throughout the rest of the game. Or, you know, another game where first two series, like that Miami Dolphins game for the Rams last year, comes into it, does not look good, you know, maybe turn it over something like that and then somehow he gets in his own head and you get that kind of performance throughout the rest of the game it's never like a roller coaster type of thing where you know it might be a bad quarter or a bad series and then three series are good and then two are bad or it's not like that Carson Wentz sort of you know roller coaster where you really have absolutely no clue what you're getting on a snap to snap or you know series to series basis versus Stafford here i think it's a lot more fascinating because you know this is a guy who i think can make a mistake or, you know, like this chart says here can get hit or can have a bad series and then put it right behind him, you know, refocus, materialize, re-internalize and get back to trying to play the best ball that he can. And the next snap, it might be, you know, one snap, it might be a sack. The next one might be a 47 yard completion down the field, which is super, super cool to me. It's very fascinating to see. And ultimately, I mean, Stafford is in pretty good company here. You look at Deshaun Watson, You know, there's obviously all these off the field questions and that stuff we're not going to comment on. But when he's on the field and he's playing football, this is a top three, top four quarterback in the NFL right now, maybe a top two quarterback in the NFL right now. That guy is truly, truly special. And, you know, his mobility and ability to actually create plays out of structure is probably what really helps him in this regard. You look at Ben Roethlisberger, another guy with that very similar mindset of, I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to give up on a play and I can really put whatever I just did behind me and continue to move forward and try to salvage of whatever's left, you know, in this series or in this game or play even. So, you know, I look at Matthew Stafford in that same mold and I think that's going to be one of the areas that I'm going to focus on this season trying to really get a good grasp of the difference of, you know, Stafford and Goff and those little things. The responses in how can I rebound after I make a mistake? Am I going to rebound or am I going to compound that with more bad you know, mistakes and just ultimately put together a very bad game or how am I going to perform in clutch scenarios? And you look at Matthew Stafford and I can't recall what the statistic is now, but I think it was like the most game winning drives within two minutes or less in a quarter or something like that. I think Matthew Stafford is either tied for first or has the most comeback wins all time. And I know that, you know, if you're playing on a good team, you're not going to have that many opportunities to do that versus if you're playing on a bad team, you're going to have more opportunities to do so. That's still a very impressive thing. And I think that just really comes back to the aspect here. This is a guy who can perform in the clutch, who can perform after he makes mistakes, and who can perform after he gets hit. That really takes you into the mind of Matthew Stafford, I feel like, where you really begin to realize... This guy does not let things bother him. I mean, he can put it behind him. He can continue to perform. And when you look at all these different areas that he excels in, you know, in these high pressure scenarios and things like that, it really does a good job, I think, of, describing who this guy is as a player and that he brings a lot more to the table than just a strong arm like a lot of people suggest or you know when they look at the quarterback wins and suggest this guy's not a good player because Detroit never won many games he never won playoff games but I tend to think this is his shot to really really stake his claim as one of the elite quarterbacks in football and there's probably no better coach than Sean McVay to help you do that but that is going to do it for this segment in the final segment we're going to continue the Sean McVay talk except we're going to pivot it to the Flying Coach Podcast with Sean McVay as well as Peter Schrager and dive into their newest episode, which just got released yesterday. And while we've got you here at the Lockdown Rams Podcast, make sure to come back to us tomorrow when we host our Mailbag Friday episode. The fitness industry is incredibly confusing and oversaturated with BS. I'd like to think that my word holds a lot of weight as I've lost 155 pounds over the last two and a half years. Throughout that time, I was looking for the best protein bar, the best protein company, and finally found one called the built bar. I'm telling you guys, there is nothing quite like it. They have so many delicious flavors, they're also super delicious. They're healthy, they're low in calories, low in sugar. They have 19 grams of protein per bar, they're high in fiber, and they even work for you on a keto diet. And the texture is unlike any other protein bar I've ever tried. You even get a free cooler with your purchase while the supplies last. All you have to do is just go to Biltbart.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, why does one NFL playmaker want out of New England? Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the final segment here of your Thursday episode of the Locked On Rams podcast. I am your host, Sosa Cremendez, and we're going to dive into the final topic here, and that is the Flying Coach podcast. So if you haven't heard by now, Peter Schrager, the GMFB announcer or host, however you want to reference it, sideline reporter for Fox, he and head coach Sean McVay host a podcast together on The Ringer, they're doing 10 episodes. It's like a little special, basically, I guess you could call it. And they're bringing a lot of different NFL coaches on and media members and things like that. So it's very, very cool because they're taking you behind the scenes and giving us a you know listen to how... It really feels to be either a journalist like Peter or a head coach like Sean or a head coach like all the other head coaches that they brought on the Matt LaFleurs, the Zach Taylors. And most recently, yesterday's episode, which I just listened to Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. And this was a super fascinating episode because there were two things that I really took away from this one that I felt like, you know, we don't really get to see as fans. And so the first one is they talked about all being in Cabo at the exact same time while the Rams were trying to make that trade or not trying to did secure that trade for Matthew Stafford. If you guys recall, Sean McVay was in Cabo at the time. Matthew Stafford was in Cabo at the time. And now we find out that Kyle Shanahan was also in Cabo at the time. And so I don't know if this is just some sort of insane coincidence or, you know, if it's kind of a expected thing for NFL head coaches and NFL people to go to Cabo after the season. I'm not a hundred percent certain, but it was funny because they were discussing how, you know, Kyle Shanahan was trying to make a play for Matthew Stafford as well. And we knew that the 49ers were involved too. And he was getting texts from someone that he's, you know, close with in the NFL. And they were saying basically like, if you want Stafford, you better go, you know, do something right now because things are heating up with the Rams. And, you know, he, got news from someone else that said, if this deal is done, it's going to be done tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. And he said, basically, you know, he shut his phone off because he believed that person. And uh, he asked his wife, let's go out for dinner. It was like 7 PM or something at night. And, you know, they went out for dinner thinking tomorrow the trade was maybe going to happen, or he was going to have a chance to, you know, do something about it, maybe up his offer and try to secure Stafford. But ultimately the Rams did secure that trade very quickly that evening. And he said it ruined his trip. And basically he was really pissed off about it and all this funny stuff, but it's really cool to see just, you know, Shannon develop and talk about, we were interested in this guy too. And we think he's a great player. And he said, like, I never watched Stafford super, super in depth. So I didn't even realize how good of a player he was until obviously the possibility of a trade happened. And then he was going to dive in a lot further into the tape. And he said, Like this guy is the dude. I think that's exactly what he said. He's the guy or something like that. And he was referencing, you know, Matthew Stafford's ability to play in the NFL. And it was just a really funny story between two friends, obviously, uh, and how this trade kind of went down. And the fact that, you know, sometimes teams are interested in players, but they can't secure a trade, right? And that's very similar to what we heard with the Rams and the Atlanta Falcons on the Julio Jones topic, because Peter Schrager made it very known that the Rams were going to be in play to some degree. And, you know, the betting odds actually caught up and said that the Rams were co-favorites or second favorites to land him eventually. And we knew the Rams were trying to make a play for him. But this topic on this podcast was also very interesting because, you know, Kyle Shanahan brought it up and said, I remember when Julio Jones was put on the block basically to be traded he said, you know, we didn't really necessarily want to go after Julio more or less because we knew the risks involved with trading all these future picks and using all this future salary cap. And ultimately, it could always come back to bite you. But then he said, you know, I think about the NFC West and I think about the Pete Carrolls and I know how he operates and I think about Cliff Kingsbury and how he operates. And then he obviously singled out Sean McVay and said, you know, I know how Sean McVay operates and the Rams operate. And basically, that he was fearful that somebody else in the NFC West was going to make a play to go get Julio Jones. And that really, you know, fortified their interest in trying to secure him. And we know that based off of all the info that was coming out at the time the rams were players the seahawks were players and the 49ers were players and it's so fascinating to see that you know teams in a division sometimes make moves that they maybe don't want to make fully you know inside of their heart or whatever the case is Because they want to stop someone else in their division from making said move. And that is so cool to me because you never really think about how intense these divisional matchups and rivalries are. But Shanahan basically alluded to it, saying, You got to win your division first. And I know how this division is. I know that everyone in this division has a good quarterback, you know, maybe outside of himself. We don't really know what the 49ers have at quarterback, but he said, Everyone has a good quarterback. Everyone in this division is willing to make moves and take risks to try and win in any given season because it's so competitive and that in and of itself, you know, forces these teams in the NFC West to be a little bit more daring, a little bit more risky because they want to be able to take these chances to, you know, best each other. And ultimately your best way to get into the playoffs is always to win your own division, but outside of that, you still want to try and get in even if you can't win your division and you have six divisional games every year, so those should be your focus. And so it was just super super cool to hear, you know, two good friends, two coaches, two rivals basically, I guess now, chop it up and talk about these interesting features behind the closed doors that we don't really get to hear when it comes to things like trades or How a team might approach certain things. And there was so much more in the podcast that was really interesting. We heard Kyle Shanahan mention that, you know, initially the 49ers were not his first choice on paper. He talked about how the roster was very bare and they had major quarterback issues and, you know, they had some other things going on there where he was questioning whether this was a job that he was going to be willing to take. And ultimately, you know, he took it, but he said he heard a lot of things from the owner and from all these other, you know, contract stipulations and things like that, that really intrigued him and that he knew that they were going to trend in the right direction. So that kind of made him more comfortable with taking the job. But it's just super, super cool to hear everything behind closed doors that we as fans and media members We don't know, you know, we're not privy to this information and such a good podcast. I urge you guys, if you have, you know, an hour, hour and a half to check out this episode, I'm still trying to catch up. I'm like two or three episodes behind, but this podcast is so good. There's so much quality information. You're gonna learn a lot more about your head coach other head coaches in the NFL. And if you're an aspiring media member or a journalist or something like that, someone in my line of work here, you really take a lot of interest to, you know, hearing Peter Schrager talk about it as well because his job is super unique as well. So that is going to do it, you know, for the Flying Coach podcast. I appreciate you guys for diving into this episode. You should, after you listen to this, go listen to the Flying Coach episode podcast. You know, I think it's episode six. You guys are very, very much going to enjoy it. I promise you that. Uh, Make sure to come back to us here at the Locked on Rams podcast. Tomorrow is going to be our Mailbag Friday episode. So you guys shoot me over some good questions. You can do that on Twitter at QB's MEP or at Locked on Rams. And please subscribe or follow to get our latest episodes, content, breaking news, and a whole lot more.